are some things that I don't understand. Some things I can't come to grip with. Sometimes I just look out in the world and think, why? Why me, God? Why this situation? Why them, Lord? Why this tribulation? down on my luck for a while. I mean, I don't even have an ace in the deck. Just empty hands with no patience that's left. I'm lost in the desert, no oasis. I guess I'm hung out to dry. Lips chapped, feet hurt in this weather. I thirst and I march on, hoping to find an answer. Just an inkling of faith in this world full of cancer would be a refreshing drip of water on the tip of my tongue. The fresh, cool breeze of Jehovah's lungs is exactly what I need. But that feels so far away. I mean, God, are you really with me? Do you really care? When I cry in distress, are you really there? Your word says yes, but sometimes I doubt it. But clearly my own path needs rerouting. Because every time I walk my own way, I get lost, and even though I'm lost in the desert, I now realize He created it. He knows where the water is. He made the sun. His creation is marvelous, and He is in control even when I fail. He is faithful even when I fall. He is what I need even when I doubt. He is fresh water in the midst of the drought. He is God and He is King. He is Lord and gives life to all things. He gives and takes away and sometimes I just need to trust that He knows exactly what He is doing. When I am asleep, He is moving. When I fall, He is choosing to pick me back up with outstretched arms. Nothing that anyone does can separate me from His love because He is faithful. He is true. He reigns. God is faithful, amen. And uh, we're going to be kind of tying that in as we talk today. Week four, uh, book of Revelation. Okay, we're, let's do this again. It's been good stuff, right? I, I've enjoyed it. Um, we're up to chapter six and seven this morning. Uh, we're leaving behind kind of an amazing scene of worship in, in chapters four and five. And we see how awesome it is going to be to worship God uh, in heaven, how worthy it is to be worshipped both now and forever. Uh, but chapters 6 and 7, they're kind of a whole different ballgame. So we kind of turn the page. These chapters are really, uh, they're not fun chapters. They're, they're pictures of pain and suffering. And there's these seven different seals to be opened uh, in, on this one scroll that we talked about last week that Jesus was the only one that was worthy to open. You guys remember that? And, and when we open these, these seals, it, it just brings about these, these calamities, uh, this suffering. Um, now before I get into this, I need to talk about something uh, a little bit. It's called progressive parallelism. okay? Can you say that with me? Progressive parallelism. okay? Um, Here's the thing. Much of Revelation deals with these three groups of judgments. 
Okay, they're, they're all in groups of seven. And, and the seven seals, we're, we're going to look at today. That's the first group. There's the seven seals, and then there's seven trumpets, and then there's seven bowls. Okay, um, that, and those are in chapter 15 and 16. The trumpets are 8 through 11, and the seven seals are today in 6 and 7. So progressive parallelism is a form of writing which kind of states a truth and then kind of restates it in, in a, a more complete way, maybe a bigger way, okay? Uh, for example, if you have a daughter and you said, my daughter is 14, she's a teenager, okay? So the, you, the statement that she's 14, that's a statement, but then you restate it, the same thing, that she's a teenager, and that brings about a whole different idea, right? Okay, that a teenager makes us think about clothes and, and hormones and drama or whatever. So, so the 14 says one thing, and then the teenager kind of adds to that. And so that's kind of the idea. In Revelation, uh, some scholars think that there, these three series of judgments are chronological. Like there's 21 things, and they go from start to finish. I don't think that's what's happening. Here's another thing I, want, I need to point out. Okay, remember we talked about Revelation being uh, apocryphal uh, style of writing. Okay, in, in this style of writing, things aren't always written in sequential order. Okay, that's important to keep in mind. We're used to stories, kind of when we read them, they go from beginning to end. Uh, uh, apocryphal writing, is, it's more about making the point of the story, not necessarily it being in chronological order. So we need to keep that in mind. So many scholars believe, and I would also be in this category, uh, except for the part about being a scholar, but I would, I would agree with this, but many scholars believe that there th these three series of judgments are actually describing the same series of events, but each time kind of giving more details. Okay, each one builds on the other one. So this, is, this would be progressive parallelism, okay? Uh, in other words, the, they're all describing kind of the same chapter in world history. I would go a step further and say these groups of seven judgments aren't even describing specific things that are going to happen, but they're describing kind of the, the general time period uh, that took place from, or is taking place from John's writing until Christ's return. And so these groups of seven are simply describing the world's suffering that God uses through the ages to judge sin and, and to prompt repentance. And, and, and so of these groups of seven, they all lead us to the same moment in time, the end of the world, okay, when Jesus comes back. And so we're watching the, the same scenario unfold multiple times through Revelation. And, and the progressive part of progressive parallelism is that in each description of the events, God's judgment kind of intensifies. Okay? It's, it's like a, an orchestra conductor who, who gets more intense each time. He lifts his baton up and said, okay, guys, play it this time again but with more gusto and from your heart and and just build on it and then then another time even bigger okay so that's kind of the kind of the idea so we got it are you with me so far or is it like oh okay yeah a little bit okay uh, I see some nods so that's good um you know our, our our goal the big picture goal in the series is just to kind of have an understand okay what's going on in the book of revelation and and, and so we're not figuring out every little specific detail, but we're getting the big picture. So let's start working through chapters 6 and 7, starting verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, 
I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Okay, so what's going to go on here? As we open these seals, we're going to see different kinds of suffering that either from that or that lead that are going to lead to suffering and so on the back of your bulletins we have these different types of suffering seal number one is talking about military invasion okay we start with a horseman carrying a bow and if you go back in time uh, the the parthian army um, was was very feared and they were the only ones that were able to ride horses and shoot bows while they rode those horses at that time. So immediately, when John brought this up, the readers would have thought about that. Okay, these are military invaders. These are, these are scary people and, and to be feared. Um, but it's really the same thing as you go through history. There's all kinds of, there's always been military invasion. People trying to take over other countries, people trying to dig in. Um, you know, you, you, you talk about a Nazi Germany with Hitler. That's the ultimate example of that. Um, but going back all the way to Old Testament times, there was always military conquest, um, people invading other lands. Okay, and then we move to, to seal number two, and uh, we have conflict and bloodshed in, when this seal is open. Okay, it's kind of connected to seal number one, but let's look at verse three. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Okay, so remember what, what John is doing here. He's painting a picture with words. So you can picture this, right? This red, fiery horse. We all have that picture in our mind. Carrying this big sword. Um, and he takes peace from earth, from earth. And so think about history. It's a picture of battles, battles between nations, battles within nations. Our own nation fought for its freedom, but then we had that freedom and then we fought with each other. Okay, there's conflict and bloodshed. And still today, somewhere in this nation, every day, somebody kills another person. Bloodshed happens every day. And you can keep getting more specific. It's not always bloodshed, but sometimes it's just conflict in, in families uh, there's conflict, or uh, you know, between people. There's conflict. There are battles everywhere, and there was bloodshed in these seven churches. That, remember, that's who it's written to. These seven churches in Asia Minor, they were facing persecution and sometimes bloodshed for that. Okay, so seal number two, conflict and bloodshed, and then look at seal number three. Uh, we're, it's going to talk about famine. Verse five: When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, "Come." I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. Okay, so what's, the, what's this talking about? Let's put this in perspective a little bit. A quart of wheat uh, would have been starvation rations for a family. Okay, uh, denarius would have been a day's wage. And so it would be like paying maybe $100 or $150 for a loaf of bread. Uh, people can't afford to do that. Okay, and so it would cause hunger. There, there is always seems to be hunger and famine somewhere throughout history. Um, sometimes famine is a result of war. Sometimes it's a result of an evil dictator. 
Sometimes famine is the, is the result of lack of rain, you know, drought strikes and, and crops fail. Um, we're kind of sheltered from that in this country, you know, from famine. We've been very fortunate um, to not really understand what that's like. We, we mostly see pictures on, on TV, but famine is a terrible thing, okay? And it just destroys and kills uh, anybody. Uh, nobody is spared from that. So that's seal number three. And then, and then seal number four is death, okay? Start, start in verse seven. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, this horseman is death itself, and, and death is, is something that strikes every age, right? Uh, there are so many ways that you can die, but the end result is always the same, and every one of us will experience death at some point unless Jesus comes back first. Now, the sad part is, as, as we see in the, these verses, is that if we die without Christ, it says Hades is not very far behind. Okay, those who die without Christ will be separated from God for all eternity and suffer in a very real place called hell. Okay, that we don't like to talk about that very much anymore, but it, that doesn't mean it's not there, right? It's not always politically correct to talk about this, but it is real and it's terrible and we need to love people enough to say, I don't want them to go there. We don't want them to have experienced that. On the positive side of this, those in Christ don't have to worry about this death that will end up in Hades. And, and that they're protected from that. So death, it's a terrible seal that was opened up. The next seal was not a fun seal for the churches to hear, but they knew it was true because they were experiencing it. And this seal is, uh, deals with persecution. Christian persecution. Verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the sound the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until a full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Okay, not a fun set of verses there. Okay, they're asking, okay, what, is there going to be judgment? Is there going to be justice for, for what we've been going through? In this fifth seal, we see Christian martyrs who have died for their faith. And for the past 2,000 years, we have seen Christians targeted for their faith and killed. Whether it be wild beasts in a, in a Roman Colosseum or by governments who, who banned Christianity, forced people to go underground and arrested Christians, people have died for their faith and it still happens every day today. They are told here that, that it won't happen forever. Okay, remember this is 2,000 years ago, but it isn't over yet. And then we're going to see seal number 6. is about natural disaster. Verse 12, I, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth. 
as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Okay, it's describing terrible things that have happened on the earth. And here's the thing. Ever since Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, um, it, our world hasn't worked like it was supposed to work. Okay, how it was designed to work. There, there are so many kinds of things that were kind of set into place because of that. You know, right now, Nebraska and Iowa and parts of Missouri are facing devastating flooding. And it's just, you know, you see the pictures and you think, man, it's terrible. And, you know, there's earthquakes, even meteors. You know, it talks about stars falling down. Hurricanes, you know, tsunamis, volcanic eruptions. And, and as we know so well here in Joplin, tornadoes. Um, and they can cause so much pain. Remember, a third of Joplin was pretty much wiped out. But one day, all that will end. God is going to make everything new again. So those are the first six seals. And so we go through all this, and you, you're kind of thinking, man, Dan, this is kind of depressing. It's kind of Debbie Downer today. Um, and the church would have been feeling the same way at the time. They would have been asking, okay, where's the good news in all this? John, what's going on here? But the point is simply this to the churches. Be, be warned, okay? Remember, he's talking to these seven churches before Jesus come back, things are, are going to get really bad, and, and, and uh, then they'll even get worse. Um, I don't think it's about specific events. It's about the general condition of the world. And, and two important questions were mentioned as we went through those opening of those seals. When the fifth seal was unveiled, they asked this question, How long, Lord? Okay, how long do we have to wait? And then the sixth seal was opened, they asked, Well, then who can stand? Okay, can anybody stand? And I bet most of you have asked a similar type of question when dealing with pain and suffering in your own life. Some of you are asking that right now. How long, Lord, is this going to happen? And how, can, how am I supposed to stand up under this? There, it just seems like there's no way. And hopefully the answers to these questions will help us stand because victory is coming. And I want you to know that. One of the first movies i remember going to the theater and watching when i was a kid uh was the movie rocky okay uh show my age a little bit here but it's 1976 when this movie came out and and uh, i was seven years old and it was the ultimate underdog story okay i i remember you know rocky and the specifically the training montage rocky's you know drinking raw eggs and and uh you know, running through the streets, and he's getting faster, and, and doing one-arm push-ups, and, and, and the, you know, the music started to build. Remember that? It's getting excited, and, and then he runs up the steps uh, of the, the art museum in Philadelphia, and he gets to the top, and, and, uh, and you're like, ah, oh, I think he can do this, and, and then you get to the fight, and you know, Rocky takes more of a, a beating than any human could ever uh, withstand. And, but he gets to the end of the fight, and, and he's still standing. 
Um, and, and uh, you know, he's yelling, oh, Adrian, Adrian, you remember that? You guys are with me on this? Okay. Yeah, you guys need to watch Rocky sometime. Yeah. The first one, not the 14th one, or however many they did. Um, but it's good stuff. Um, but the point, and actually, I don't know if you remember, uh, uh, spoil it for you, but he lost that in a split decision. Do you remember that? Yeah, sorry. I just blew the ending of it. Um, but it didn't really matter at that point. He, he was victor- victorious. But uh, in the movie, you know, that montage was two or three minutes, but it was a long period of, of training, two or three months probably, that he went through. And, and it's hard. It was, it's not easy. It looks, you know, great on the screen. Um, you know, if you're living through hard times, the difficult times. It doesn't seem like this easy, short period of time. It's hard, isn't it? And, and, and sometimes you think, well, what, what's the end result of this? Where's the good thing at the end of this? I've been trying to exercise more at, at the community center, and, and so I'll do the elliptical machine for about 30 minutes a day, and, and so it, it's good, right? That's a good thing. But you know, you'd think at some point to be like, hey, this, this is, I kind of enjoy this. No, I don't, every day my body's like, no, don't, I don't want to do this. Th- this is not fun. Uh, and so you people who say you like exercising, th- there's something wrong with you. You're, you're demented, really. Um, but the, the end result is, is good. You know, I'm lost a little weight, I'm, you know, healthier. And so that's a good thing. But it doesn't seem like it, that going through it, it, it's a fun thing. For many of you, it seems like the storms will never end in, in your life. And, and that's what it seemed like these, uh, the, for these churches in Asia Minor. This, this is never going to end. And, and they were weary and they were worn out. And, and they were crying out, how long? But they're told that, you know, it isn't over yet, but it's not going to last forever. Now, to be clear, God doesn't cause the, the suffering. Okay, that, that's the, the work of Satan through evil people. And God will, will not allow that forever. One day he's going to say enough, okay, no more. Um, and we also need to remember that suffering can have a purpose. Okay, if we allow it to, the suffering can strengthen our faith, but, but it is hard. One of the hardest verses of Scripture, I think, to put into practice is James 1, 2, and 3. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's a hard verse, isn't it? Okay, to endure it is one thing, but to consider it pure joy? I'm not very good at that. You guys good at that? Because I need your lessons on how to be good at that. It's hard. But the other option is to allow suffering to just kind of make us bitter. Okay, Bishop Fulton Sheen, he once said this. Think of how much suffering goes to waste. When we experience trials, if all we do is simply grit our teeth and bear it, we may not come out on the other side with pure faith, just ground down molars. (laughs) And that's true. Sometimes it's like, oh, I just got to get through this. But God might have something in mind for us. Our goal should be to allow God to stretch us and mold us through the hard times. And then on the other side, we can help others who are going through hard times themselves. Ann Cantrell dealt with breast cancer a couple years ago. And it was hard, right, Ann? There's nothing fun about it. Uh, 
But now since that time, she's been able to help lots of other people who are dealing with that. And Janet Peterson is, has been dealing with that. And, and I have no doubt that one day Janet will be able to help other people as they go through a difficult time. And, and, and so that's what God can do. He can stretch us, but then he can use us if we allow him to. So the answer to how long the trials will last from the book of Revelation, it's not a specific timetable, but there's two simple truths. God will not let it go too long. God has his, his eye on the clock, and, and then when, when we suffer, we're being prepared for, for the white robe that it was talked about. God is purifying us. He's preparing us for something way better. And so that's the fifth seal. The, the martyrs are asking how long. But then the question in the sixth seal of who can stand, it's actually a different group of people. Okay, the, This time everyone else on earth is asking the question. Okay, that They're all trying to hide. It's like who can stand? And so the opening of this seal ha, has most likely brought us to the end of the world. And this is the unrepentant sinners who have not followed Christ. Okay, God's... God, God's hands and, and, and his, I don't know, his fingers are, are just like, okay, this, here it is. Th this is it. This is the time of judgment. Let's read the first few verses of chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing the land or the, on the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the, the number of those who are sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then we're not going to read it, but then John goes through the specific list of the 12 tribes that are 12,000 people each. Okay, by the way... Um, you get extra credit this week if you can figure out what's unusual about that list of 12, okay? Uh, so if you, let me know if you see something that, that seems like it's, it's different in that. Um, but in this, this first vision, John sees a group of God's servants, okay? 144,000 of them. And so who's this group? Most likely, it's the complete company of God's people. Okay, the number 12 symbolizes completeness. Okay, so it's all true followers of God. And, and notice that, that all of God's people are present, okay? Not even one is missing. The list isn't 139,999. Okay, that's not it. The shepherd makes sure that all his sheep are accounted for. And then in verses 9 through 17, John gives a, a second vision that's parallel to the first, okay? It's still a vision of God's redeemed people, but it has a different emphasis. And so let's read part of that, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and wore... Uh, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and, and uh, the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to be our God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so let's compare that to the first vision. Okay, the first vision represents God's people in the present. I think the second is God's people in the future. 
The first shows God's people symbolized by the, the number 144,000. The second is God's people as they, they truly are a great multitude uh, that no one can count. Okay? The first vision portrays God's people figuratively as, as the, the true Israel. The second shows us that God's people are literally from every nation, tribe, people, and language. I think it's cool how it's just, you can fit those two together. The first picture is their security while on earth. The second picture is their salvation someday in heaven. Same vision described in two different ways. And what an amazing picture it is. John describes the, the redeemed standing before God's throne. They're wearing white robes. They're holding palm branches, a symbol of victory. Okay, I, I'm sure you remember another time when palm branches symbolized victory. Remember, as Jesus entered Jerusalem. God's people, they, they were faithful in the middle of the story, so they are, are victorious in the end of the story. And so the vision is meant to, to remind the readers that in light of eternity, keep enduring. Okay, that the suffering will not last forever. Paul describes it in this way. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore we do not, do not lose heart. And then it goes on to say, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Okay, that's a good verse to hold on to. Even like, memorize that verse as you're going through hard times. Okay, that it's a temporary thing. And, and this, we're, we're achieving this eternal glory. Do not lose heart. Okay, that's what it's about. These struggles are temporary. Eternal glory is forever. Okay, that's a long time, right? Philip Yancey tells the story of some Americans in a, in a World War II prison camp who, who secretly built a makeshift radio. And one day news came out over the radio that the German high command had surrendered, but the German guards didn't know yet. And it wasn't until four days later that the Americans woke, woke up to find the Germans had fled, leaving the gates unlocked. In the three days in between, the prisoners still suffered. They were still mocked and still abused, but they were changed. They waved to the guards. They laughed at the German shepherd dogs. They, they told jokes over meals. And, and in the midst of their captivity, they, they sang. You see, they knew their salvation was going to happen soon. And it changed their whole outlook on life. In Revelation 7, the, the suffering believers are given a news flash about their future. The time is coming when they will stand before the throne. They will be victorious and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And knowing that will help them to be able to endure patiently. And so that's encouragement for the church now. But it's also the story for or the church then. It's also the story for the church now. We are the church. And in a broken world, we are going to face very real pain, very real suffering, very real heartache. And in Revelation, God is saying, hang in there, church. Hang in there. I know it's hard and it may get worse before it gets better, but I love you and I haven't forgotten about you. And there's a victory crown waiting for you one day that's going to be better than anything you could ever imagine. And it's going to last forever. So friends, 
take heart. God is with you. God is still in control. And I hope that, that he's in control of your life. It could be today that you say, yeah, it's time. It's time to let Jesus be in control. It's time to surrender. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this picture that you have painted for us. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a different kind of picture than we're used to. But Lord, I pray that through this picture we will see that you are still with us, that you are in control, that you do still love us. And we th we're so thankful that, that we have eternity to look forward to. And we look at the suffering of the early church and we may face some different kinds of sufferings now, but, but we know that it's hard. And, and some people here are dealing with difficult things today and I, I pray that you'll just give them uh, encouragement and strength, sometimes day by day, to just make it. We thank you that you care about us and that, that you are with us every step of the way, Lord. And we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.